Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ben, one of the pastors on staff. Super glad to be here. Um, when uh, It's been a while ago now, but my first eight years of ministry, I was at this church in Napa, Napa Presbyterian Church. And uh, while I was a youth director there, I was going to seminary, collecting books, being really smart. And, you know, that's what you do. And, um, but it was time to leave our time in Napa, and we were moving up to Washington. And so I had to clean out my office. And uh, all of a sudden, my good book collection needed some cleanup work. And uh, my wife, who is so gracious and so kind and so loving, if you know her, she's so incredible. She's like, let me help you. And I'm like, this is great. And so we're in my office, and we're cleaning around. And I'm over here rumbling, and she's over here rumbling. And we're looking at books. We're looking at books, and she's unpacking, unpacking packing. All of a sudden, way in the corner, she goes, Ben, what's this book? It's What If I Married the Wrong Person is the name of this book. (laughs) And I should have been like, I have such a heart for pastoral counseling, and this is my way to... But I had that instant, like, caught look. You know, man, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh! And she knew instantly why I had this book. And she starts crying, and I'm like, this is not going to end well. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? What if I marry the wrong person? I'm like, no, no, I love you. You don't understand. It's a different time or whatever. Um, and, uh, but what's interesting is there was, there was this moment in time in the, in the early part of our years where I'm like, this marriage thing is way harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought we were just going to love each other and, you know, kiss all the time, and it's going to be great. And, and it was so hard. And the worst part about being so hard is Katie is so great. She loves me. She loves me. I know she loves me. And it was this weird thing happened where I knew she loved me. I knew she loved me. I knew she loved me. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, you're not- you love me so much, you're not loving me even good enough anymore. Like, you need to keep loving me. And I stopped loving her back, and I just kind of sat back. I'm like, um, you're not doing your job well enough. And my heart started getting kind of hard and cold, and we had this, you know, we had this thing. And so I bought this book, and it was like, it's not that helpful, but I still bought the book. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, in the same way, I think that, that happens in our walk with God. We spend so much time thinking, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. And then all of a sudden, we kind of, we click, we get it, we go, God loves me. And they're like, okay, God, you love me, you love me, you love me, but you're not doing the things that I think you should do because you love me. And all, and all of a sudden we take this, from don't going in this receiving position, we kind of, our hearts get hard and our hearts get cold towards our spouse and towards God, even though we know they love us. And, uh, and, and the, the biggest remedy, the biggest remedy to help your heart kind of re-engage is to serve, is to k- take yourself out of the center, not be the person that goes, you love me, you love me, you love me, but to actually love that person back, right? When you take yourself out of the center and you love that person back, you serve them, you're able to do, like your heart actually changes. You've heard our students talk about how your heart actually changes. And uh, there's this definition of service that many of us think about, and it's this, that um, service is doing uh, charitable things for others. Whenever I think of what we want to do, we want to serve in our county. Almost every school in Marin County does uh, service trips. You need service hours because we get, as a society, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, we get that it's important to serve. We get it's important to step out of ourselves because that just makes us selfish brats, but that if we actually see someone else and we serve them, it changes our hearts. And so what do we want to do? We want to do something charitable for someone else, and we love it. And then what's crazy is we feel so good. If I can give someone something, if I hand them something, then it's theirs, and I did a good work, and I did a good job, right? If I, if I go to my wife and I say, look it, I did the dishes. See, I'm a good husband. God, I'm doing these spiritual disciplines that you told me to do. I'm a good person. And we like have this like fulfilling thing. We love it. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of service, and it is this really fine line, and I'm going to try to, to, to navigate it, which I probably won't do that well, but it's this fine line because there's this part of us when we serve, when we get outside of ourselves, when we say, I'm doing this thing for you, 
It's an echo of what God really wants to do in us. And it's an echo because it's not fully what it is, but yet we get a lot of the benefits. When we serve others, when we do charitable things, when we're generous, when we give people God, our spouse, when we give them something, right, there's a benefit to that. But it's just this echo. It's a shadow of what I think God really wants us to do. We're going through these things called spiritual practices. It's a little out of order there. Sorry, Andrea. But uh, spiritual practices, in a, and we defined it this way. It's an intentional ways of acting or living which set us before God so that the Holy Spirit can do his transforming work in us. So these spiritual disciplines that we're doing, we're not doing them so that we can be these awesome Christians. We're not doing them so that we'll have great marriages or great faith. We're doing them because we actually want to be connected to the heart of God. There's this really uh, incredible concept in the Old Testament, and it's this Hebrew word called hesed. I was going to try to pronounce, pronounce it all as fancy, but I, de- I decided not to. Hesed. That's the English Ben Kern's way of pronouncing it. But it's this incredible, deep, rich word. It means covenant loyalty, covenant fidelity, loving kindness. It's the heart behind the actual actions, behind the actions of being nice and being charitable and doing things. It's the heart. It's, I'm doing this thing for you because I am committed to you. And I'm not just committed to you like I'm grinding it out, like I have to do this. No, I'm committed to you. My heart is committed to you. That is what said means. That's what covenant loyalty is. That's, that's God's heart towards us. God leans out towards us and says, I love you. You're my people. I'm committed to you. I've made a covenant with you. I'm loyal to you, and I'm extending never-ending loving kindness to you. That's God's heart towards us. Our response is to, re- to turn that around, right? The two greatest commandments, to love God with all of our heart, uh, strength, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors ourselves. The two greatest commandments. That's what God calls for us to do. But we don't do those things like, God, I fast, I read the Bible, and I don't swear that much anymore. Okay, check. Um, I love my neighbors and myself. Um, I do the dishes, and I give to charity. Done. Right? Those, are, those things are great, and they're important, but they're not said. They're not the emotion. They're not the heart behind what God has for us. What God has for us is this loving kindness. He says, I love you, and I want you to love me back. Right? Katie loves me. And if I go, well, here's, I did the dishes. That's, that's not said. That's just me being a selfish jerk. said is me loving, being kind, being patient, figuring out what Katie needs, what Katie wants, and loving her back. That's the difference. And service, the spiritual discipline of service is this. This is the definition that we're going to work with today. It's to, um, to, to actually be the feet um, of God, to be the feet to the heart that God has for others. We get that God loves me, but did you notice that God loves the person next to you? That God loves the person you're going to be working with tomorrow? That God loves everyone? Like God loves the world, right? That's our favorite verse, God loves the world. And so what service is, what, what the spiritual discipline of service is, is connecting our heart to the heart of God, to the said heart of God, and to put feet, to be the actual hands and feet of Jesus towards the people that God loves, which is everybody. Who knew that? So this morning, we're going to take a look at a great passage of Scripture. It's kind of familiar to people who have been around the church for a long time, but I love it because there's the lawyer who's trying to like just be self-righteous and justifying, which I can totally resonate with. And then there's Jesus just doing the sucker punch at the end, which as good Christians, we like the guilt at the end. We're like, yeah, I'm getting it. And uh, so it's great. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10, and uh, this is the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. All right. So here we are, we start on verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. 
I love that. Even just starting in the beginning, an expert in the law, a Pharisee, a lawyer, someone who knows their Torah, it's memorized backwards and forwards. They are so smart. You might know those people in their life, right? They are so smart. I love getting in theological debates, especially with like college kids, because it's like, bring it, kid, you know? And it's like, this is this guy. He has memorized the Bible. He's an old sage. Jesus is a young rabbi and uh, just starting his ministry. And so he has this conversation um, with Jesus, an expert in the law to test Jesus. And right now, because we know who Jesus is, we're like, it's not going to end well. But he doesn't know it's not going to end well yet. So he says, teacher, being a total brown noser, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law reply? How do you read it? Good test, right? So if you're ever in an intellectual debate, you know, someone gives you a hard question, just throw another hard question back at him. It's super great. This is like perfect debate. So he says, how do you read it? Now the expert in the law says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. Now, what's so great is that's uh, love, your, um, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. That comes right out of Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's the Shema. It's like the, the, the anchor verse for all Jewish kids. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. That is the anchor verse for Judaism. He nailed it. Good job. Religious law. He got it. He knows what the law is. And then it doesn't say love your neighbor and yourself right there in Deuteronomy 5, but in Leviticus 19, there's this whole chapter about who we're supposed to love and how we're supposed to love. And, uh, and, and the summation is, well, then you love your neighbors yourself. And so he was actually proving how smart he was. He, he didn't just know the letter of the law, but he got that the basic gist of the Torah was these two things. So he's feeling great. And he should. He, he nailed it. Home run. Um, so Jesus said, you answered correctly. Do this and you live. Should have been the end of the deal, but instead he, he presses. And this is where it gets gnarly. But he wanted to justify himself. So he said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Right? And in Leviticus 19, it says, love your neighbors yourself. And it talks about some different ways who your neighbor is. And being all snotty, he says, well, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus is about to drop the hammer. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from, Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And I love this. It's a man. In some, in some translations, it says a certain man. But really, it's probably most likely a Jewish man. But it's just a man. A human being is traveling from Jerusalem, which is the top of this hill, to Jericho. It's, this gig- it's a 23-mile climb down over like 1,000 or 2,000 feet. It's this huge, long road. It's a huge thoroughfare. It's a well-traveled road, lots of violence. Like everyone knew the road. Everyone knew that there, there's a good chance you're going to get robbed there. So like this is like real life that Jesus is talking about. He says, a man, a certain man. But what's interesting is, I read this, and in fact, I've always read this, and it was like, yep, a Jewish man who gets beat up and uh, left for dead. But what's interesting is if you think about it, he wasn't just attacked by robbers. He was stripped of his clothes. He was beaten, and he was left for half dead. So really, you have a naked male corpse. You can't identify him by his clothes. You can't identify him by his ethnicity. You can't identify him by any of the normal markers that we go, are you one of me? Are you not one of me? Are you one of me? Are you not one of me? It was just a bloody almost dead corpse on the side of the road. That is who was there. That's the man. And I love it. It's, it's this, this trick because it's not who um, is this person, but it's just a human being made in the image of God. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road and we saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite. And when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by the other side. So both the Levite and the priest, they're walking down this big hill, walking down, and they see this half-dead guy. Now, there's two things going on here, and this is what I can— uh, Oh, wait, we have this picture of this road. It's really—this is what the road is like. 
at least part of it. So they're walking down the road. They're cruising down and they see this half dead guy. Now I can totally respect the Levite and the priest. They're leaving from Jerusalem to Jericho, right? They're priest people, they're temple people. Sunday's over, man. They're going home after church. They did their religious thing and they're walking down the hill and they're heading home. Now, for me, I leave out of church, I'm going home. It's nap time for me. I don't want to, if one of you are broken down by the side of the road, someone else is going to have to hopefully hear the sermon and help you, right? I did my religious thing. So I can resonate with that. But these guys see them and they walk past them. And you can give them, it, it makes some sense, right? If you touch a dead person, you're, you're ceremonially unclean. You can't do the job that you've been asked to do by the people because you're a priest and Levite. So, I mean, there's, right, it's what we do. We see someone in need and we have a gazillions of justifications. You're bloody, you're going to cause me unclean, it's nap time, you're not my person. Whatever the thing, we have a gazillion reasons. And Jesus goes straight for the gut and says, this is what those guys did. And they walked to the other side. But a Samaritan... Now, before we go on there, some of you guys have been around the church, you know the Samaritan story, but here's the deal. This is what's incredible. They're the worst. If we were good Jewish people, we hated them. Even Jesus barely likes them. I mean, there's a, there's a Samaritan woman who goes and goes, Jesus, I want this from you. I want this from you. He says, leave me alone, woman. Get away from me. He's like, right? like, no one wanted anything to do with them. And what's interesting is this animosity between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans has been going on for a thousand years. Um, back when there was a divided kingdom, King David, right, it was all of Israel, and then his grandson, they divided the kingdom. So there's Judea in the south, there's Israel in the north. And so ever since then, they were, they were two separate parts of the family, and they just did not like each other. They set up their own kingdom, their own rules. They were already living apart. But then to make matters worse, when the Assyrians came and attacked, and they decimated the northern kingdom, they decimated Israel. And, uh, and what they did is they went in and they intermarried with everybody. If you're reading through the Bible right now because it's the new year like I am, you're in Leviticus and it is gnarly. This is like, this is where we all stall out. But everything in Leviticus is like, you are holy, do not touch. 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 And all of a sudden, these people came in who you're not supposed to touch and you intermarry with them and you take on their rules and their rituals and their things. And so they are the worst. They are everything that we are not, they are not supposed to be as Jewish people and they broke all the rules. Then when the Babylonians came in and they took all these Jewish people to Babylonia, they all stayed strong. They stayed pure. They stayed good Jews. And so when they came back to Judea, all the Samaritans were trying to like go, no, we've been here first. They had this like kind of big battle between the two of them. And, uh, and so ever since then, they just hated each other. They hated them for religious reasons. They hated them for political reasons. They hated them uh, for uh, genetic reasons or uh, race reasons. They hated them. So in the story, the good guy, the priest, the Levi, they walk by and they miss this guy totally. Miss him. The bad guy. Not just the bad guy, the worst guy. Think about if we were, this is a horrible illustration, but let's just pretend we're all living in Germany in 1937, right? We're like good Nazis, right? Yeah. And a Jewish person, right? Like we get that sort of thing. Or we're all, you know, Southern white people in like this, in the, in the 20s and 30s, right? And a, and a black person. I mean, it's the kind of racial animosity like the, is the most horrible parts of history. That is the racial animosity that's going on here. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where this man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine and then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
So he goes and takes all this money out of his own pocket to a Jewish person, right? He's not going to be like, he's not going to get paid back. He's not going to be like, yeah, man, good job. Thanks for hanging with me. Only out of compassion, only out of grace, only out of mercy does he see this guy. He cares for him. He brings him to the inn. He covers his wounds and he even makes arrangements for him afterwards. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of law, because he's a brown-nosing expert, he knew. He said, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus told him to go and do likewise. What's interesting is about the story of the Good Samaritan, I always think about who are the Samaritans in my life? Who are those people? But that's not the point of the sermon, the, the point of the message. The point is not, look how great the Samaritan is. The point of the message is, the lavish love that the Samaritan poured on someone who he should have no business being near or being with, that kind of love, that kind of neighborly love is what we're called to do. I love it. He says, who of these um, is your neighbor? He says, the one who showed mercy. And the Greek word for mercy is elios or elos or elios. We don't speak Greek, so it doesn't matter. It's E-L-E-L-S, okay? That's what it says is mercy. Well, the, the New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And uh, for the longest time, um, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated to Greek called the Septuagint. And wherever the word hesed, covenant loyalty, right? Loving kindness, hesed, that word, whenever it was translated um, into the New Testament, it was translated as mercy. Isn't that interesting? So when it says, who showed, who was a good neighbor? It wasn't, wasn't the person who just showed mercy. It was the person who showed hesed. It was the person who showed loving kindness. That is the person who was a good neighbor. So you want to know what it's like to be a good neighbor. It's the person who sees people, sees the humanity of somebody else, and extends his said to them, extends loving kindness. Now, just real quickly, three things I want to touch on when we talk about what does that look like practically? What is, how do we develop a heart for that uh, before we wrap things up? And so I think there's three ways in which if we want to be the people who show his said to each other, who show loving kindness to each other, then we need to t- take on these three attributes. The first one is this, that we have to have compassion. The Levite and the priest, they, they came, they saw, and they passed by. The Samaritan, he, they, he comes, he sees, and he has compassion. All of a sudden, something happens in his heart. For us to be truly servants, to be the kind of servants that God has for us to be, the thing that has to change is our heart. Our heart is what goes, oh, there's something going on there, right? It's sympathy. It's pity. It's, it's seeing someone in distress, and our heart actually does something. What I love is it's not just that our heart does something. As Christians are called to do more than have compassion, to have more than sympathy. Sympathy just goes, oh, sucks for you. I'm sorry, man. Christians are called to have empathy. Christians are called to actually put on the sufferings of others. One of the main shaping verses um, in all of the Old Testament is is this verse in Leviticus. It says this. When a foreigner resides among you in the land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt, for I am your God. It's interesting that the shaping festival, the shaping dinner, the shaping celebration for the Jewish community is Passover. Every year, remember, you were slaves. You were nobodies. You were exploited. Your history is the exploited ones. So when you see people who are exploited... Remember that. So if we want to actually be the servants that God has for us, we have to put on not just 
sympathy, but we have to put on empathy, put on their shoes, put on their clothes. We have to remember that person's story. I love what Linda said. You're sharing stories. Stories are so powerful. Without stories, you're just nameless people, right? Nameless people, like in movies, nameless people, they die all the time. Like, ah, too bad. The main character dies. Like, it's awful. And you weep because it's the story that connects them. So we have to have empathy. I mean, in compassion. But that's just the first part. We go, that just wrecks us even more. But hopefully that leads to mercy. Mercy is the next step. Mercy is the thing where we look and we actually do something about it. It's helping or forgiving somebody who's been mistreated. I also think it's this way. It's helping or forgiving someone who doesn't necessarily deserve it. Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. And this is where we struggle. This is where, at least for me, I go, I'm the priest and I'm the Levite. I'm happy to love the people who are my people. I love my friends. I love my church. I love the couple people that are in my life. I love them. There's a lot of hard people in the world. And all we do is lawyer up. Like in this passage, we go, oh, who's my neighbor? That person can't be my neighbor. That person can't be my neighbor. But mercy means that we have to do the hard work. We actually have to forgive somebody. We have to get over something. If someone hurts me, then I don't have to love them anymore. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that we show mercy whether they deserve it or not. For a Samaritan to show a Jewish dying man mercy, he didn't have to. He could be like, you hated me, I hate you guys, we have nothing to do with each other. If your own priest can't do it, I'm out. That's what he could do, but he is the example because he showed mercy. I think the gut check for me as I study this, and maybe the gut check for you, is we have to own our junk. What are our blind spots? We are all have ways that we treat people as other. We don't see people. We go, oh, because of their religion, their political views, their racist, their sexuality, their financial situation, how they eat with their mouth open. Whatever their thing is, we draw a line and go, I don't need to love you. But what would it be like if we put on the mantle of God? We not only had compassion for somebody, but we showed mercy to them. We gave kindness to them, not because of who they are, and we did the spiritual work. That's why it's a spiritual discipline, because it takes spiritual work to actually Forgive somebody. We forgive as Jesus forgive us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. That is spiritual work. That's what God is calling his people to do. Not just to serve, not just to be charitable, but to show mercy to one another. And finally, the last is this. To do justice. To show justice. To stand up for the little guy. All of us have spheres of influence. All of us have some area in which we have power and which we have access. Now, in this story, the Samaritan had no power. He had no access. He did compassion and he did mercy. And that's the end of the Good Samaritan story. Amen. But for us as Christians, for us as Marin County Christians, as us who are in this church on this morning, on a Sunday morning, maybe there's an added step that God's inviting us to, and that is to leverage who we are for justice. That person right there is to go, right, who are those robbers? Why is that guy always getting beat up? Is that road always dangerous? Maybe there's some punishment that has to happen and laws that need to be enforced. What's going on up the river that's causing people to have to be robbers all the time? Is there something that we can do? Is there something we can fix? And as Christians, we are called to be a part of that. And I'm not going to lie, justice of all the things in, in Christendom is probably the, 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 the muscle that I'm the weakest in. But I love that we're part of a church and we're part of a denomination who is leaning into it with all of who they are. This pump, and a pump like it, is a, is a pump built by this church called Hindustani Covenant Church in India. And in India, right, it's a poverty-stricken area. 
and, um, and mostly because there's no education and no work and because people spend half their days having to walk and get fresh water. Can you imagine four hours of every day going just to get water so you don't die? Even two hours every day just so you don't die. Well, these guys said, hey, we're pretty smart people. We're an engineer. What if we, make some, we made this pump? And people could go and their whole village could get plenty of fresh water. And there you go. Now you're, a whole village has two to four hours every day back. How incredible is that? And what's even cooler about Hindustani church is they figured out a way to make it and to build it so that locals can actually make it and build it and fix it instead of the big smart white guy coming in, building it and walk away at break. And they're like, oh, that's a nice statue. That happens all over the world, but not Hindustani Covenant Church. Hindustani Covenant Church says, we're going to make a pump and we're going to make it so it's yours and so you can fix it and you can actually be a blessing to your community. That's what justice is. I love that our church uh, partners with um, International Justice Mission. I don't know the first thing about sex trafficking or how to stop it, but we're part of an organization that goes, that is not okay. The weakest and poorest among us are getting wrecked. And we who have access and money and power need to leverage our access and money and power and do something about it. And they get after it. If we are going to love our neighbor, we have to have compassion. We have to show mercy and we have to do justice. That's what the spiritual discipline of service looks like. I have one last story, um, and then we're gonna, I'm gonna, you guys are going to take a turn at it. A couple, both students mentioned that one of the things we did in Mexico is we went into the gorge, went into this canyon. It was the old dump, the dump for all of Tijuana for, uh, for decades. Went into this gorge, and people live there, and there's all sorts of stuff, right? People throw away, and people make a living out of it, and, uh, and that's where we were. And the, the nice token thing to do is to show up, hear some food, the end. I did my job. I feel good about myself. And because it's an echo of what God's invited us to do, it feels good. But the spiritual discipline, the spiritual discipline of service invites us to so much more. And so there's an organization that we partnered with and they used to give out food all the time. There'd be hundreds and hundreds of people, but they realized, what is that doing? And so what they did is there's actual neighbors in the dump who are connected to this ministry and they are keeping their eyes out for people who need love who need things. And they go, and then they use some of the resources. So we come in, we bring some stuff, and actually we go, and we don't just go and give them these things, but they say, we want to go and see people. So we go, and we sit down, and, uh, and here's a picture of, uh, of Jesus. This is one of the guys we met, our group. And we go, and this is uh, his sixth kid, and we, we didn't just go, here's this food. We did our part, take off and leave. We get to be invited into his home. We get to go eyeball to eyeball with him. All of a sudden we hear his story. We get to pray for him. We minister and we have this connection, this heart to heart moment where it's like you're mine and I'm yours and we're connected. It's incredible. Compassion and mercy. It's this human interaction. And what's awesome is the people who are most connected there, they look and go, man, this sucks. This is not okay for people to live like this. They're going to just live in the dump generation after generation after generation. So the people who go, no, this is the thing that God called me to do, they stand up and go, we're going to do the justice piece. And you know what? The best way for people to get out of the dump is to get to school. Get your butt to school, get a ninth grade education, and you can do anything you want in Mexico. Get out of the dump forever. And so they've done everything they can to take all the, um, all the uh, hinges all things away so that people could go to school and get an education to help cover work, help cover childcare, help provide food so kids can learn. I mean, they're doing incredible things and we just got a touch of that. It was an incredible trip and it was so incredible to just be this momentary part of what God is doing in this one part of the world. And God is doing that here. God is doing it in our county through us. And so the last thing I'd like to do before we close is if you would take a bulletin, if you take your piece of paper, And just to consider this for a minute or two. 
God loves you. Oh, we love it. We love it, love it, love it. But let's just consider that all the ways that we love God, all the ways that we, we want God to love us and we want to receive his love and we want that, all those things, what if all that was also for somebody else? So just imagine your week this week. Imagine all the people you're going to interact with this week at your job, at your school, at your home, broken down the side of the road. God loves them with his said, with loving kindness. And your job and my job as the church is to be the feet to, of the expression of that love for others. So I'm gonna give you three questions and I just want you to jot down a name or a thing for each of these three things before we wrap it up. Here are the three things. Who in your world do you need to show compassion to? Just in this message, in, just in church today, who in your world are you like, oh, that's someone who just needs compassion. Who do I actually need to have a little more empathy for in my world? Here's why it's a spiritual discipline. Very few of us just all of a sudden leave church and go, now I'm compassionate. Never, I, I don't know that person. I have to sit in my bed and go, today, what, who, what, who am I meeting with today? What's today going to look like? And I have to gird up. I have to think, what, I need to be compassionate today. That's, there's nothing wrong or shallow about that. It's a discipline. It's connecting me to the heart of God. So who do you need to show compassion to? This one is a little more private, but I think we should wrestle with. What are the issues that you need to work through so that you can show mercy? What are your prejudices? If you're like, I don't have any, then you have some major blind spots. I have two that I say, so I have to deal with my other ones. But we should all, what are they? Give them to God, wrestle with them, die to them. So tiring to be in the church that's labeled as judgmental and hypocritical and lame all the time. Let's own our junk. And all of us in this room have some sphere of influence, some sphere of power. How can you leverage whatever little or huge amount of wealth and access and power that you have? Man, how can you leverage that for kingdom justice? This week, the spiritual practice that we're going to ask you to do is a spiritual practice of service. And it is a spiritual discipline because it takes work. It takes hard work. So let's be prepared to show compassion. Let's work through our issues so that we can be ready with mercy. And let's be generous with the access and money that God's given us, the, the, the spheres of influence that he's put us in so the kingdom of God may come and all glory may be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.